0: Chapter three of the Headless Horseman This is a LibriVox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads The Headless Horseman A Strange Tale of Texas By Maine Reed. Chapter three The Prairie Finger Post The Travelers felt no further uneasiness about the route the snake-like trail was continuous, and so plain that a child might have followed it. It did not run in a right line, but meandering among the thickets, at times turning out of the way in places where the ground was clear of timber. This had evidently been done with an intent to avoid obstruction to the wagons, since at each of these windings the travellers could perceive that there were breaks or other inequalities, in the surface. "'How very thoughtful of the young fellow!' remarked Poindexter. I really feel regret at not having asked for his name. If he belonged to the fort, we shall see him again.' "'No doubt of it,' assented his son. "'I hope we shall.' His daughter, reclining in shadow, overheard the conjectural speech as well as the rejoinder. She said nothing, but her glance towards Henry seemed to declare that her heart fondly echoed the hope. Cheered by the prospect of soon terminating a toilsome journey—' as also by the pleasant anticipation of beholding, before sunset, his new purchase, the planter was in one of his happiest moods. His aristocratic bosom was moved by an unusual amount of condescension to all around him. He chatted familiarly with his overseer, stopped to crack a joke with Uncle Sepio hobbling along on blistered heels, and encouraged Aunt Cleo in the transport of her Picanenny. "'Marvelous!' might the overseer exclaim misled by such exceptional interludes so pathetically described by the scribblers in lucifer's pay what a fine patriarchal institute is slavery after all after all we have said and done to abolish it a waste of sympathy sheer philanthropic folly to attempt the destruction of this ancient edifice worthy cornerstone to a chivalric nation o ye abolition fanatics why do ye clamour against it know ye not that some must suffer must work and starve that others may enjoy the luxury of idleness that some must be slaves that others may be free such arguments at which a world might weep have been of late but too often urged woe to the man who speaks and the nation that gives ear to them the planter's high spirits were shared by his party calhoun alone excepted they were reflected in the faces of his black bondsmen who regarded him as the source and dispenser of their happiness or misery omnipotent next to god they loved him less than god and feared him more though he was by no means a bad master, that is, by comparison, he did not absolutely take delight in torturing them. He liked to see them well fed and clad, their epidermis shining with the exudation of its own oil. These signs bespoke the importance of their proprietor himself. He was satisfied to let them off with an occasional cow-hiding, salutary, he would assure you, and in all his stock there was not one black skin marked with the mutilations of vengeance. A proud boast for a Mississippian slave-owner, and more than most could truthfully lay claim to. In the presence of such an exemplary owner, no wonder that the cheerfulness was universal, or that the slaves should partake of their master's joy, and give way to their garrulity. It was not destined that this joyfulness should continue to the end of their journey. It was, after a time, interrupted, not suddenly, nor by any fault on the part of those indulging in it but by causes and circumstances over which they had not the slightest control. As the stranger had predicted, the sun ceased to be visible, before the cypress came in sight. There was nothing in this to cause apprehension. The line of the Lazo was conspicuous as ever, and they needed no guidance from the sun, only that his cloud eclipse produced a corresponding effect upon their spirits. One might suppose it's close upon nightfall, observed the planner, drawing out his gold repeater and glancing at its dial. "'And yet it's only three o'clock. Lucky the young fellow has left us such a sure guide, but for him we might have floundered among these ashes till sundown, perhaps have been compelled to sleep upon them.' "'A black bed it would be,' jokingly rejoined Henry, with the design of rendering the conversation more cheerful. "'Ugh, I should have such ugly dreams were I to sleep upon it.' "'And I too,' added his sister.' protruding her pretty face through the curtains, and taking a survey of the surrounding scene. I'm sure I should dream of Tartarus, and Plato, and Proserpin, and— Hiya! 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 grinned the black yahoo on the box, enrolled in the plantation books as Pluto Poindexter. De young missa dream bout me in de mids of dis black prairie Golly! dat am a good joke. Berry! hiya! 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 Don't be too sure, all of ye— said the surly nephew, at this moment coming up and taking part in the conversation. Don't be too sure that you won't have to make your beds upon it yet. I hope it may be no worse. What mean you, Cash? inquired the uncle. I mean, uncle, that that fellow's been misleading us. I won't say it for certain, but it looks ugly. We've come more than five miles, six, I should say, and where's the tree? I've examined the horizon with a pair of as good eyes as most have got, I reckon, "'and there isn't such a thing in sight.' "'But why should the stranger have deceived us?' "'Ah, why, that's just it. "'There may be more reasons than one.' "'Give us one, then,' challenged a silvery voice from the carry "'We're all ears to hear it.' "'You're all ears to take in everything that's told you by a stranger,' "'sneeringly replied Calhoun. "'I suppose if I give my reason, "'you'd be so charitable as to call it a false alarm.' "'That depends on its character, Master Cassius.' i think you might venture to try us we scarcely expect a false alarm from a soldier as well as traveller of your experience calhoun felt the taunt and would probably have withheld the communication he had intended to make but for poindexter himself come cassius explain yourself demanded the planner in a tone of respectful authority you have said enough to excite something more than curiosity for what reason should the young fellow be leading us astray well uncle "'answered the ex-officer, "'retreating a little from his original accusation. "'I haven't said for certain that he is, "'only that it looks that way.' "'In what way?' "'Well, one don't know what may happen. "'Traveling parties as strong, "'and stronger than we, "'have been attacked on these plains "'and plundered of everything, murdered.' "'Mercy!' exclaimed Louise, "'in a tone of terror more affected than real. "'By Indians!' replied Poindexter. "'Ah, Indians, indeed!' sometimes it may be and sometimes too they may be whites who play at that game not all mexican whites neither it only needs a bit of brown paint a horsehair wig with half a dozen feathers stuck into it that and plenty of haliballooing if we were to be robbed by a party of white indians it wouldn't be the first time the thing's been done we as good as half deserve it for our greenness in to trusting too much to a stranger good heavens nephew this is a serious accusation do you mean to say that the dispatch rider if he be one is leading us into into an ambuscade no uncle i didn't say that i only say that such things have been done and it's possible he may but not probable emphatically interposed the voice from the carry in a tone tauntingly quizzical no exclaimed the stripling henry who although riding a few paces ahead had overheard the conversation your suspicions are unjust cousin cassius i pronounce them a calumny what's more i can prove them so look here the youth had reined up his horse and was pointing to an object placed conspicuously by the side of the path which before speaking he had closely scrutinized it was a tall plant of the columnar cactus whose green succulent stem had escaped scathing by the fire It was not, to the plant itself, that Henry Poindexter directed the attention of his companions, but to a small white disc, of the form of a parallelogram impaled upon one of its spines. No one accustomed to the usages of civilized life could mistake the card. It was one. "'Hear what's written upon it,' continued the young man, riding nearer and reading aloud the directions penciled upon the bit of pasteboard. "'The cypress in sight.' "'Where?' inquired Poindexter. "'There's a hand.' rejoined henry with a finger pointing no doubt in the direction of the tree all eyes were instantly turned towards the quarter of the compass indicated by the cipher on the card had the sun been shining the cypress might have been seen at the first glance as it was the sky late of cerulean hue was now a leaden gray and no straining of the eyes could detect anything along the horizon resembling the top of a tree there's nothing of the kind asserted calhoun with restored confidence at the same time returning to his unworthy accusation it's only a dodge another link in the chain of tricks the scamp is playing on us you mistake cousin cassius replied the same voice that had so often contradicted him look through this lorgnette if you haven't lost the sight of those superior eyes of yours you'll see something very like a tree a tall tree and a cypress too if ever there was one in the swamps of louisiana calhoun disdained to take the opera glass from the hands of his cousin He knew it would convict him, for he could not suppose she was telling an untruth. Poindexter availed himself of its aid, and, adjusting the focus to his failing sight, was enabled to distinguish the red leaf cypress, topping over the edge of the prairie. "'It's true,' he said. "'The tree is there. The young fellow is honest. You've been wronging him, Cash. I didn't think it likely he should have taken such a queer plan to make fools of us. He there, Mr. Sampson, direct your teamsters to drive on.' Calhoun, not caring to continue the conversation, nor yet remain longer in company, spitefully spurred his horse and trotted off over the prairie. "'Let me look at that card, Henry,' said Louise, speaking to her brother in a restrained voice. "'I'm curious to see the cipher that has been of such service to us. Bring it away, brother. It can be of no further use where it is, now that we have sighted the tree.' Henry, without the slightest suspicion of his sister's motive for making the request, yielded obedience to it. Releasing the piece of pasteboard from its impalement, he chucked it into her lap. Maurice Gerald, muttered the young Creole, after deciphering the name upon the card. Maurice Giraud," she repeated in apostrophic thought, as she deposited the piece of pasteboard in her bosom. Whoever you are, whence you have come, whether you are going, what you may be, henceforth there is a fate between us. I feel it, I know it, sure as there is a sky above. Oh, how that sky lowers! Am I to take it as a type of this still untraced destiny? End of chapter 3